it's just really allowed me to kind of relax into the amount of time that it takes to accomplish anything. And, you know, we've been at this for several years and we might look at that as discouraging, but really this is a long game play and this move to go up market was a pivotal thing for the business. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator for SaaS bootstrappers. We're back with Brian and Scotty, co-founders of Gather, for one final episode. In the last year or so, they've managed to double their revenue and overcome most of the challenges they've faced along the way. Case in point, it's been about a month since we last spoke, and during that time, their recent cash crunch has started to resolve itself. Yeah, cash flow is not our biggest concern anymore, which is a great relief. I think we talked about it some episodes ago, but especially right around COVID, like everybody, we pulled the reins back pretty severely, and the cash in the bank was dwindling, and we were really nervous about declining growth or flat growth. And since that time, growth has been either sort of normal steady when you average it out or maybe a little slower the last month and a half. But the thing that changed was we you know, got some loans from the COVID situation from the federal government, Small Business Association loan and, and the uh, PPP loan. And those really, really changed things for us. And you know, we also had some other revenue streams, which I think Scotty can talk about. But the combination of those things just put our cash balance much further north than it was back in the beginning of the COVID days. So that really has changed our outlook and our plans and allowed us to get back into the optimistic game of looking forward and sort of making some ambitious plans. A government program actually working for small business. I just, I can't, almost can't believe my ears. <laughs> but it's interesting because you were telling me, you know, there were, it sounded like there were three things that really came together to help with the cash crunch. One was the loans. The other was that, you know, you had landed a bigger enterprise client who was willing to fund features and who was willing to put cash up front in order for you to build them. And that helped you ramp the devs up. And I think you were mentioning those are almost done. Is that right? You want to update us on the status of that and I guess take that story to completion? Yeah. We signed this, what we call enterprise plan, which is just a larger company for us. And they had a bunch of feature requests that we didn't really have on the immediate roadmap, but we believed in and we believed that they were necessary. And so they actually paid us, you know, essentially at cost to build those things for them. So that allowed us to ramp our developer up from part-time back to full-time, which was great. And then also build some really cool stuff that other customers are already really happy about because we're well into that development. And then on top of that, they hired us to migrate a lot of data from their old system into Gather. And so the way we structured that deal was that they pay us a monthly cost for that sort of backlogged legacy data. And so their plan is actually going to increase in value as well. So yeah, that stuff definitely helped. It just all this was a confluence of events that happened at the same time that was really encouraging. Yeah, and that whole piece with that enterprise client really reinforces your move up market to me because that wouldn't have been possible if you were still servicing the one, two, three person shops, right? The revenue just, they wouldn't pay up front and they wouldn't pay for features and it'd be quite a bit of a different approach. You'd be in a different situation. 
The third thing you had mentioned, there were kind of three legs that have really helped you get out of the cash flow crunch is the services, the virtual coordinator service that you had been looking at for several months, but I believe it was only last episode that we really had kind of updated people on that. Scotty, do you want to update us and also take us out on what is going on with that and how that's been so far, basically offering kind of a dollars for hour service to help boost cash flow, but also help your customers? Yeah. So this has been really interesting. Last episode, I think I had one company and one project that I was starting with them. So that's in full swing. And now I'm going to be starting another project with them. So I'm sort of at this place now where I need to figure out how to remove myself from the puzzle. (laughs) So I've been sort of creating the processes around that and thinking about bringing someone else in to pick up the actual work part. But in the process of doing that, I'm doing all the work. And what's been really interesting is I've never really used our product in a real world scenario. I've always used it sort of pretending that it was a real world scenario and how I might have done things in the past, but not actually true real world scenario. And so this process has made me realize, oh, there's certain places where this could be better. And so whether in the end the services actually turns out to be a profitable thing or something we continue doing, if anything, I'm learning so much in this process that I think it's going to be beneficial regardless of whether we continue to offer it or not. Yeah, that's interesting. So even though your background is in interior design, have you ever used your software as an end user since you've built it? Not for a real life project. So I think the term is called dog fooding. Yeah, it is. So we've never done that before because when I came on full time together, I was not doing that anymore. And so now doing this for an actual customer and and me being the one that's getting in there and having to realize the jobs to be done and then going, ah, I can't do this the way I want to do it, or this is frustrating me. And so I've started to make a log of all of those things. And Brian and I discuss them fairly regularly. And I think it's only going to make the product that much better. Scotty, take me forward a year, you know, given that we've been talking for around a year and we've we've seen you more than double the business during this time and just all the changes that have happened. What do you most look forward to? a year from now regarding the business? Well, the roadmap that we have laid out at the moment, assuming we can continue on and complete what we want to, I think we're just going to have a much more well-rounded product. We've sort of been over the last year, especially since moving up market, I feel like we've just been learning a lot about where we're lacking, what could be better and what would be more valuable or what to add that would be more valuable. And we're prepared to add those things at the moment. So assuming we get to do that, I think, I mean, I could easily see us doubling again this coming year. As she reflects on the present and the future, Scotty seems very focused on improving the product as much as possible. Perhaps this experience of eating her own dog food has opened her eyes to how much more Gather can be. But it's not just the number of features and polish to a product that allows a SaaS company to survive and flourish. Sometimes you need to shift your vision entirely, and I think Gather pulled that off beautifully by taking their business up market at precisely the right time. Given the upheaval and the chaos that COVID 
caused in a lot of businesses and how some really got hit hard and some accelerated, you know, Zoom and podcasting apps and such. I kind of feel like gathers more in the middle where it's like there's been some pluses and minuses. But something that we talked a little bit about, I believe last episode or in the past few episodes, is this idea that going up market may have been a huge benefit to gather. And I would almost go so far as to posit the question, do we think that going up market actually saved the business? That you might potentially be declining and potentially rapidly if you were still focused on the one and two person teams through COVID. Scotty, what do you think about that? You think that's accurate? Oh, yeah, no doubt. We still get some of the onesie twosie firms just because of old SEO or, you know, something like that. They hear about us from someone who's currently a customer. And the thing that is even more apparent now due to COVID is that they are super cost sensitive and they want everything under the sun. They want the product to do everything. (laughs) And we don't do everything. There is no product out there like ours that does do everything. But that's what those firms are looking for now because they're cutting so many costs that they're looking for one tool that does everything. And they want it for the cheapest price possible. And with our larger firms, pricing doesn't seem to ever really come up. It's mostly about features. And for a lot of those larger firms, we have those features they need. Yeah, and Brian, you had mentioned offline that you've had, as COVID came through, several of the one and two person shops churned, probably due to cost, or maybe they had less work, but that the larger upmarket customers you've signed are not churning. And in fact, some of them used to have offices, weren't using Gather, they went remote, and suddenly they needed a system to coordinate in. So it almost, in a way, it's reduced your churn, and these larger customers provide faster revenue growth, right? One of the cool things there is when COVID really kind of took hold in March, we did notice like a pretty big amount of churn that month. And they were all those sort of just legacy folks that we had around that were these really small sort of bottom of the market shops that just couldn't sort of justify any costs because they weren't getting any, any new work. And that has just been this like very easily visible decline in our churn since that time to the point where I think this month we're about 1% churn. So we're not adding a ton of customers per month, but each one that we add, they're worth more and we're just not churning out those smaller folks anymore. So it's put us into this position where it's like, okay, cool. That makes sense. I'm glad that we did what we did. Now we just got to go find more of those firms. Yeah. And it was such a big gamble right at the start. I mean, if you go back eight or nine episodes, and I know for us, that's a year, but for people who are listening to this, it's about two months ago that they heard you positing, like, I think going up market is right, but man, this is scary. And that was that was a lot of the stress in the first several months that we were speaking. But that gamble, I think, paid off not just in the way that you thought it would. It actually paid off doubly in the fact that COVID potentially could have had an even larger impact if you had stayed down market, you know, and it had potentially even more of an updraft, given that you are getting these bigger deals. And the fact that churn is down to 1% is, these are the things we talked about, you know, is that when you go up market, you can charge more, churn is going to tend to be lower, sales cycles will be longer, but people stick around longer, there's more loyalty, and then you get these bigger names, you know, get the bigger logos on your homepage so that you're able to attract more like it. So it feels to me like, 
while we know that that's not done, you know, and going up market will never be done, right? It's a constant process and it's building more features and that list will never be done. It really does feel like we can put a capstone of sorts on that of like mission accomplished, but we still have to keep moving forward to keep growing the business. The arc, when you look back of going up market, of targeting bigger deals, of adding services, of being stressed about cash flow and now not, of dealing with COVID and now feeling as good about it as any of us can, given it's not fully resolved while we're recording the revenue growth. There are always struggles. And I mean, that's the story that I'm trying to tell by interviewing you, you know, across this longitudinal 12 months. There are always struggles, but I personally feel so positive in general about your journey. I know that day to day you're in the you're in the trenches and you're struggling and you're pushing the boulder up the hill in essence. But when you look at it across this long time frame, there really are a lot of things that are going well and have gone well. Does it feel like that to you given that that you are so close to it? It does. I mean, it's easy definitely to get lost in your woes and where you're not satisfied with things, but this last year has taught me several things, one of which is it's just really allowed me to kind of relax into the amount of time that it takes to accomplish anything. And, you know, we've been at this for several years and we might look at that as discouraging, but really this is a long game play and this move to go up market was a pivotal thing for the business. And we think it was the right thing. We think it set us up for another five years of business. And like, we're really excited about where those next five years are going to go because we think we're sort of just even at the beginning of this journey, even though we're a bit into it already. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I've learned over the last year is that it's never to the point where we're satisfied and everything we do, we have to keep making it better. So it's important to know going into building a startup that like you're probably never going to feel like this is it. Like I've made it. This is perfect. Unless maybe you sell for, (laughs) you know, millions of dollars. But for us, it's just like constantly thinking about how to be better. How can our marketing be better? How can our messaging be better? How can the tool be better? That's the the treadmill of SaaS, right? It is. We're hitting on some themes that may sound familiar if you've been with us from the start of the season. You're never truly done moving up market, just as you're never truly done improving your product or growing your company. As our time with the Gather crew comes to a close, I asked Brian if he has any advice for early stage SaaS founders. Brian, do you have any, I'm curious if, you know, there's a SaaS founder today who's, I don't know, they've had 500 MRR, so they have a product and they're just kind of cranking on it. I mean, you were there a few years ago. Any advice you'd have for them? Hmm. Yeah. I'm always really reluctant to give advice because it's such a personal path. But the way that I feel about things now is that just reiterating what I said earlier is relax into it. It doesn't mean that you can be complacent and that you can't pay attention, but just realize like you're on this path, you're on this journey, and it's going to take however long it's going to take. It may be the product that you're working on right now. It may be the next one. It may be five products down the line. But whatever it is, it's just a matter of staying with it and 
sort of being okay with the waves or as you put it, Rob, the roadblocks that come up around you and just go around them as gracefully as you can and keep at it because the process really is, for me anyways, as much as the outcome. I would do this even if it never turned into a life-changing amount of money just because there's so many other benefits of doing this kind of work both for whoever it is that you're serving and for you and your family. So for me, I guess it's just stay with it, wake up every day, try to be refreshed by the work that you have in front of you and just tackle that work with as much equanimity as you can. Yeah. And in a really early episode, I asked you, you know, what's your progress, your high points, your low points. And then I said, Brian, are you satisfied with your progress? And you said, never, Rob, I'll never be satisfied. And I think that ties into this idea of, the process. You'll never be satisfied, but you still have to figure out a way to enjoy it. And you have to figure out a way to celebrate milestones when you hit them, because it really is the arrival fallacy. You know, if you think, man, if I could just build a SaaS app to $1,000 a month, I'll be happy. You're going to get there and then you're going to want 10K a month and then you're going to want 50 and then you're going to want 100 and then you're going to want a six or seven figure exit or an eight figure exit for that matter. And you can do all those things and they're amazing and they change your life. But will they make you happy forever? I mean, probably not. You know, it's the fallacy of thinking I will have arrived when I have done X, Y, Z. And I think that your perspective here is salient. You know, I think it's something that early stage startup founders should realize is like you do have to embrace this journey and not burn yourself out, not burn your relationships out and not think that this is a sprint because it's going to take years, even in the Cinderella stories. And I always say there are no Cinderella stories, but even in the Cinderella stories we see where someone starts a company and sells it in three years, it often takes a big toll on them. And it's often a much harder journey than we think it is from the outside. So thank you guys so much for taking at least 10, 11 hours out of the past year to chat with me. How does it feel to have chronicled your journey in this way? I think it's really cool. It's kind of like a glimpse back in time. And it's fun that we'll have these to look back on in years from now when we're very successful. And we look back and think, oh, remember that time when it'll be neat. When we talked about the pain. So when you have uh, 100 employees or you have an eight-figure exit or whatever it is, the direction you want to go, people can go back and listen to how it was in the early days. Yep. Yeah, it's been amazing, Rob. And, you know, thank you for what you're doing with all of the content that you put out in the world. And thank you for, for Tiny Seed. We feel honored to be one of the first or the first batch. And we just think it's amazing what you're doing for founders out there. So, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you so far. And just because the podcast ends and your batch ended uh, a month or two ago, doesn't mean that the three of us won't still hop on the mic every now and again and uh, just chat and catch up. So I look forward to staying in touch and hearing from you guys. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Us too. Thank you so much to Brian and Scotty again for letting us follow the Gather story for the past year. And thank you for listening. In the coming months, keep an eye out for season three of Tiny Seed Tales, where we follow another startup from our newest batch of SaaS founders. If you're a SaaS founder with at least $2,000 of MRR, consider applying to Tiny Seed. Head to tinyseed.com and enter your email address to be notified the next time we take applications. And if you're an accredited investor and you're interested in diversifying an investment across potentially hundreds of early stage B2B SaaS companies, head to tinyseed.com invest.